0: I take refuge and express gratitude to the Buddhas, awakened beings of wisdom and compassion. We ask you to influence our mind streams as we walk this path of wisdom and love. I take refuge and express gratitude for the Dharma, liberation teachings, and techniques that invite us into the nature of reality, deep intimacy with this life, grasses, wind, trees, walls, mountains, rivers, earth and sky. I take refuge and express gratitude to Sangha, this community right here. Throughout space and time, all those who have walked this earth searching for a true home All those who have practiced the ways of truth and compassion. All beings who are suffering and seeking liberation from suffering in all of its forms. Greed, hatred, delusion, violence, fear, systemic racism, oppression, injustice. I'm gonna start by sharing two poems by Two Sisters. Uh, These are poems of freedom from the first Buddhist nuns. The first poem is by Chitta, whose name is Heart, means Heart. And the second is by. Sorry, the last. Second is by Metika, which means her name means kindness. First, Chita. Somehow, I kept climbing, though tired, hungry, and weak, old too. At the top of the mountain, I spread out my outer robe on a rock to dry, set down my staff and bowl took a deep breath and looked around. It was windy up there. As I was leaning back against a large gray rock, the darkness I had carried up and down, up and down, up and down a million mountains slipped off my shoulders and swept itself away on the wind. This is Matika, Kindness. I know my older sister went this way. At the top of the mountain, the top of the mountain, I spread my outer robe, where perhaps she once spread hers. I set down my bowl. And there was her staff, the twin of my own. Using both staffs, I lowered myself down and leaned back against a large gray rock. I let go of the staffs and my hands were empty. The mountain The mountain went on holding me. Both of these poems are rich in the imagery of practice. When we begin practice, wherever we find ourselves on the path, we carry our karma. We carry the burdens of our lives, our conditioning, our patterns, our habits, some of which we would so love to set down, to let go of. And yet they are entangled or seemingly entangled in the old operating system that's still functioning below the surface. And so we don't quite know how to just let go. As Jogan said, the practice instructions themselves are simple, almost too simple, serene illumination. Trusting this moment as it is, is whole and complete. That our inherent nature is, as it is, whole and complete. And so we apply these methods or what we interpret the methods to be sitting as a mountain, feeling the rootedness of the body Welcome, and so we enact this welcome, this rooted mountain body, and we meet ourselves. Ultimately, we meet ourselves. We meet, sometimes, apparent darkness that seems that we've been carrying all our lives. We meet our tiredness. This tired body works so hard. We meet our hungers. The things we want. We meet that voice that just says, I want. I want or perhaps manifests as an unsettled restlessness permeating, moving through the body. We meet our weaknesses, our apparent weaknesses, places of fear, places of jealousy, of anger, of rage. we meet our old rehearsed stories, our storylines of suffering and pain. Dogen Zenji says, and this is often quoted, Dogen Zenji quote from the Genjo Koan, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self, which is what we're doing here, is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be awakened by the 10,000 Dharmas. To be awakened by the 10,000 Dharmas is to free one's body and mind and the body and mind of others. We hear certain lines over and over and over and over and over, and over again in practice, decades of hearing the same lines and. Sometimes they turn, or pivot, or open up a different dimension. Which is why we chant the same chants over and over again every session or every practice period. So here, an interpretation of the 10,000 dharmas is the stuff of our lives the stuff of our lives, whatever is manifesting when we meet ourselves, when we pay attention, when we settle into mountain-like stability, whatever arises. In the seemingly internal field of body, heart, mind, and the seemingly external field of our life, our home environment, our family, our children, our responsibilities, Someone was saying yesterday, practicing at home is in some ways um, more easeful or familiar because being at home is safe and there are, there's this kind of container of safety and they get more sleep and they know that they can fall asleep easy because it's their bed and so there's something familiar. And practicing at home is more challenging because there's all the responsibilities of life. And they listed a few and I thought, oh, that's like being in residential training. Like we have all of those responsibilities of making the meals and taking care of the grounds and doing the laundry. And we do it together. Um, Yet monastic life still has responsibilities. especially when you're a resident here. So the 10,000 dharmas is meeting the stuff of our lives. Serene illumination, the practice that we're talking about this week, is a practice of wakefulness, wakeful letting be in the midst. Serene illumination is a practice of deep rest, Of ultimate self-love. We are invoking the image of mountain as we continue to settle into Sashin. And mountain is an often evoked image in in the Zen tradition as well as the Dzogchen tradition. So mountain is the first of the freely-resting precepts in the Dzogchen tradition. It's uh, an image to give us a flavor of what it is like to simply be. It points to an aspect of the nature of mind, the immovability aspect of the nature of mind, helps us set up serene illumination in that way that it's rooted and stable, something to return to, perhaps a prop, but it's a helpful one. And mountain in the two poems that I shared is the place of awakening, the place of awakening of great heart and great kindness, these two sisters the two sisters who inhabit the mountain. And as Dogen Zenji said, we've been studying the um, Mountains and River Sutra here at at Great Vow this practice period. So some of the lines from that sutra are very fresh in my practice life. And so as we're sitting as mountain, I kept remembering this line of, um, from Dogen Zenji's fascicle Mountains and Water Sutra someone enters, a practitioner enters the mountain, there is no trace of someone entering the mountain. And so these two sisters that I evoked at the beginning of this talk, Great Kindness and Great Heart, are part of the mountain, one with the mountain. So when we sit as mountain, we can invoke those qualities. Let them sit with you. Let them influence your mind stream. And these sisters show us trust, which is part of the reason I wanted to invoke them at the beginning of this talk. Entrusting themselves to the mountain They give us this image, this very visceral image of leaning back on that large, gray rock. And both of them call forward that large, gray rock. When I picture it, it's like a rock from Stonehenge. It's huge. And I can feel it against the back of my body, holding my heart. Sitting back, leaning back on the mountain, stable and rooted. When we lean into the mountain, we become the whole body of the mountain, so vast, so deep, unending in its deepness, in its connection to the earth, immovable. And here we are with the sisters at the top of the mountain. And when we gaze out at the view from the top of the mountain, we are in the sky. You could say we're always in the sky, but we're really in the sky. And the mind has an affinity with the sky. I don't know if you've ever just gazed into the sky or gazed into open space. It's It's quite potent if you gaze into the sky, especially at a broad swath of sky, if you have that. But one woman from the practice period said she just had a little corner of sky, and that was enough, because really, a little corner of sky is immeasurable. So how, you know, it's the whole sky right there. You Gaze into the sky, and the mind opens. So we've been been encouraging folks to go outside. As we go outside, the mind opens. I learned this from my cat. I've learned this from my direct experience too, but she can be so agitated when she's inside and then I'll just walk her outside holding her and suddenly she becomes outside. She just becomes the entire natural world. All the sounds, all the smells, the air. She's just... Totally it. And she calms down immediately. And when she's standing on the earth, she becomes like a piece of grass. She's so light. And I could just pluck her like you would pluck a weed. It's amazing. Amazing teacher. But the same happens for us. We go outside and sometimes whatever we were cogitating on inside, whatever we were working on inside, it just releases. The air has chi, ki in, in Japanese. Ki. The earth has ki. We have ki. It doesn't belong to anyone, but we can allow that natural openness to to. Meet us <laughs> to influence our mind stream again. So, mind has a sky is sky-like in its openness, and the sky can be a teacher of how open and vast the sky the mind is. And held, held by the mountain. Both of these practitioners, both of these women get to the top of the mountain, bodies tired, and just rest, are held, allow yourself to be held. body can be tired the second day of Sashin and the body unfamiliar from sitting so much in this unusual, kind of unusual posture, upright. Body can be tired from being human or from thinking it's a human. Tired from all these decades of work, trying to keep you safe and protected, well-fed. trying to keep you on the track to success, taking care of you, taking care of family, taking care of friends, constantly offering itself, transporting you all over the world, all over the country from city to city, from room to room. And the body forgives you for all all the times it has been neglected or overworked. You can rest your body on this, in this, as this mountain. Now here on this beautiful, spacious mountain peak, be here now. On this beautiful, spacious mountain peak and become mountain stable mountain body, panoramic mountain view you set. We set up this mountain and then you don't have to pretend you're on a mountain. Whatever you see is part of the mountain. Whatever you hear is the view, is the scenery of mountain, of sky mind, of the valley or river below, is the flow of your sense life your sense fields. Here's the quote from Dogen Zenji. After entering the mountains, not a single person meets another. It's just the activity of mountains. No trace of anyone ever having entered the mountains. Although the mountains belong to the nation, mountains belong to the people who love them. When we become mountain, we are the activity of mountain. So in the first poem, the whipping wind, here in the zendo, the gentle breeze, all equally the activity of mountain, gentle bird song. We can let everything be, we can let everything we brought into the mountains go. All the activity of the mind, go. All the doubts, all the confusion, go. All the pains, the news, the arguments, go just as the one sister dropped her sticks and said, my hands are empty and the mountain held me. And in that letting go, the thoughts, the stories about ourselves, the stories about our practice and our life, They're just the activity of the mountains, just like the birdsong, just like the wind, just like the grass moving. Mountain is calm. Mountain is serene. That is the mountain's practice. And they are also active. Clouds form and cover the view, sometimes for days, fires. Rage on one side, mountain goats, deer, elk, mosquitoes, rivers form and pass through, traverse the mountains, waterfalls, boulders, human beings. Serenity is the mountain's practice. Say serenity is the mountain's nature. And so we can, when we sit as mountain, touch into that quality of serenity, mountain-like stability in the midst of the activity, just as the mountain practices, serenity, just in the midst of activity. Activity is the mountain. Serenity is the mountain. Activity is your life. Serenity is your nature. So the weather, the weather of body and emotions, memories and dreams, the light, fluffy, cloud-like thoughts, and the complete obscuration of the sky thoughts, when mind's delusions are so, so thick, it's like we're sitting in a cloud. All that is included in this practice of serene illumination just invoking the mountain to teach us about this practice of serene illumination that is so simple. We need some help sometimes. Analogies can be helpful. So returning to Hongzhi, who loves metaphor, this uh, teaching is called the plow person on the shining field. One note about Hongzhi and this text and how this text came to be, Uh, the text is Cultivating the Empty Field. And the person who compiled it was one of Hongzhi's closest students. And he just observed students coming forward. And like Jogen said, it was all sorts of people, monks, nuns, lay people, royalty coming and asking their deep Dharma questions, asking about the nature of reality. We don't have the questions, which would be interesting to just see how he responded to the different questions, but we have his teachings. And um, this, this touched me that the person who compiled it said, I have not yet awakened to the teachings of my teacher. I am recording these so that they will be of benefit to those in the future. And that, that you, that you, any one of you who is hearing this, that they be the, the Dharma gate that opens your mind to its nature. It's a, it's a beautiful aspect of the Bodhisattva heart and lineage that we just continue transmitting the teachings knowing that they contain keys to open the heart to open the mind so a plow person on the shining field from the outset all beings have this field now we have the image of field that is a pure Spacious, broad plane. Gazing ahead beyond any barriers. Within this field, practitioners plow the clouds and sow the moon. With clear, bright understanding, vast and expansive, the true self accepts its function, whether emerging or disintegrating, whether in a position of receiving or releasing, directly perform the same workings as heaven and earth, arising and dispersing along with the 10,000 forms. Lofty and majestic, where do they come from? Still in solitude. Where do they go? So we are told that the empty sky cannot encompass it. The great earth cannot uphold it. Subtly existing beyond shapes, perfectly empty, beyond names, the merit of being and non-being is exhausted. The paths of the worldly and the sages are transcended. Then you have the opportunity to go home. Just then, what do you know? For 150,000 acres, you can see the cold, pure, shining snow. Observing this well, one can be a strong plow person. From our mountaintop view, gazing into the sky, gazing into the sky of minds, nature, are there any limits in the sky? Hongzhi says, gazing ahead beyond any barriers. Are there any limits in your mind? Does your field of awareness have any edges? Can anything obstruct it? Hongshir is pointing right back at the nature of our minds, the nature of attention. Jogan's been using the word wakefulness. Can wakefulness be obstructed, even by drowsiness, or by thought? Are there any edges to your awareness? These questions are invitations, and you can look once, or you can look a thousand times, or you can look for the rest of your life. And the looking is the inquiry aspect of this practice, the illuminating aspect of this practice. To not being quite satisfied, being curious, what does edge even mean? What is a barrier? What is, how does a barrier show up in my body, heart, mind, in my practice? How do I react when I think I'm encountering a barrier? Do I really know the vastness of my own nature? Do I just stop? I'm like, oh, yes, it's vast. Ho hum, I'll go on acting like a human being and suffering. Or do I sink in? Do I let myself? explore this sky-like nature of mind? Are there edges to the sky of mind's nature? Is your mind like the sky? Jogen was talking yesterday about seeing the nature of thought. This has been the most freeing practice I've ever explored, seeing the nature of thought. Do clouds and sky have the same nature to lean into the metaphor? What are clouds made of? What is sky made of? Do thoughts and what is aware of thoughts have the same nature? This is so interesting. Using the mind to look at the mind, so intimate. Really staying with the flow of thought. A couple weekends ago, Jogen and I were co-teaching a retreat, and he he was using the analogy of the river of thought, the river of mind. We can isolate the sense gate of mind of thinking and with awareness we can observe the thought stream observe this the the thought stream that that's just a stream of what sound touch sensation of sensation image color some some people experience color sound and and see its flowing nature do thoughts and what is aware of thoughts have the same nature how do thoughts form we can watch this we can be present to the arising of thought, even the pre-arising of thought, that bubbling kind of movement. We can see how ridiculous thoughts are. We can observe, like Jogan was saying yesterday, how we think the same thoughts over and over and over and over and over again. same worries, the same suffering. We can get bored of our thoughts. And this is a more intimate process. It's like really looking into what is the nature of thought? What are they made from? What is it like to sit in a thought as it forms? To sit at the source of thought? How long does a single thought last? Does a thought actually ever land into a thought? Talking about stream, like does a single drop of water ever, can you separate it out of the stream? Can you grab a hold of it as it's flowing? How long does a single thought last? Where do thoughts go? Watch them disappear. Into what? That's interesting. Being present to the space between thought, the gaps between thought, resting in those gaps where are you sitting when there is no thought and you're just aware of mind mind aware of mind it's interesting we can watch the sky and we can watch I love this analogy and we can watch how clouds take shape we like as children did this a lot probably like, sat back looked up at the sky and watched clouds form and maybe said like marshmallow that's a pretty lame one because all skies look like all clouds look like marshmallows then boat maybe we saw a tree archer smiley face and like you can get really creative abraham lincoln but they dissolve they're constantly morphing so it was like this constant creative game of what you could see as they dance as they move you see them moving you see them transforming before your eyes same with thoughts same they take on all sorts of forms and we tend to identify more personally with the forms that thoughts take than with the forms that the clouds take but imagine this of really seeing your thought stream as clouds, just taking on funny shapes and sounds too. Plowing the clouds, Hongzhi says, this is one of my favorite lines of Hongzhi. Within the field, within this spacious, broad field, practitioners plow the clouds and sow the moon and plowing the clouds. How do we do this? One, they do it themselves. And we can entrust that when we really know that thoughts are empty, ungraspable, don't refer to anything, don't belong to us. And those are all things we can know intimately through this process of observing thought. We can let them go. and can notice when we've gotten kind of caught up in the clouds of thought. And just with the out-breath, release. Gently plow the clouds. And they sow the moon. The moment of noticing thought, we illumine the clouds. Of thought. And they break up in our awareness. You probably have had this experience of just noticing, oh I'm thinking, and then at that moment you can't even go back to what the thought was. It's gone. And what are you left with? For a moment you're left with the illumined mind. Pure, spacious, emptiness, bright, the bright field right there. They break up in our awareness. They can't hold form. All senses are like this. So Hongshu is not only talking about thought. He's talking about our sense world, our, what we call ourselves. When we allow the moon, the light of awareness, to shine, we see that all sensations are cloud-like. And we can inquire in the same way we did with thoughts, with body sensations, with breath sensations. Where do they come from? Watching sensation arise intimately feeling sensation arise? What's aware of sensation and the sensation itself, are they the same nature? Where do they go? It's very intimate to also to practice this with sound, any of the sense fields. It was uh, during the last retreat using this image of flickering, that all the senses are flickering in and out, flickering in and out, touch, sound, taste, smell, even the visual field. You can also see it as flowing, morphing one sound into another sound, into another sound, never fully landing. Not abiding anywhere is a phrase we hear from Dogen Zenji quite often. sounds, tastes, smells, even this apparently solid or fixed visual field, colors, forms, emerging and disintegrating, arising and dispersing, morphing, changing, dancing. Serene illumination, this practice that we're doing, allows this dance of being and non-being, spaciousness and form. This is a real resting into the inquiry, or alivening the inquiry of, who am I? Does this I am ever take shape for more than a moment, an instant of sensation? Is this I am the flow of life itself? And it's not satisfying to answer the question right now as I ask it, and then never come back to the inquiry. It's the beginning of inquiry. Serene illumination can hold our deep existential doubts. And one thing I'm noticing studying this text and doing this practice, this is one of my foundational practices, but whatever doubts I have about inherent freedom that prevent me from just freely resting arise when I entrust myself to the zazen of serene illumination. And if I'm not swallowed up by them, swallowed up by my doubts, which Kise can appear to be swallowed up by doubt, inherent freedom, not so much, doubt is passing cloud, small doubt. Freely resting in serene illumination, doubt is liberated, just like any other thought, any other sensation. And in serene illumination, we can put our deepest heart questions into our zazen, into our sitting with that same trust. And that trust is this open-handed, a real, true, genuine, open-handed question, which means that we generally don't know. It's not like I'll ask this question and I want this answer, so I'm not really asking the question, but it's that letting go into the question and into the not knowing of the question. I wish I had better words for that. So any expectation about the answer clouds the asking, clouds our receptivity to something genuine coming forward, something fresh. Because we already have a preconceived notion of what we want to see. Hangzhou continues, so we are told that the empty sky cannot encompass it. The great earth cannot uphold it. What is it? Our nature, this freedom, what is it? Quintessential koan, what? What is this life? Great mystery. Hangzhou continues, subtly existing beyond shapes, perfectly empty, beyond names. Rest here in not knowing. And he says, then you have the opportunity to go home. Just then, what do you know? Go home, everything familiar, intimate. That's our true home. So intimate, so familiar. Always known this, always known this. And then he takes it away. Well, what do you know? Who is there to know? Who is there to know? The ancients often speak of returning home. This path leads us to our true home. It asks us to find security in groundlessness, in the openness and spontaneity of being, of living. The mountains give us this powerful image, help us establish this security for ourselves. Help us see that we are, our nature is securely rooted, immovable, yet constantly moving. This image and experience for me helps me settle in. Settle and trust myself to the practice of serene illumination. In serene illumination, just as Dogen said about the mountains, there was no one doing serene illumination. There is no plow person in the shining field. There is just the activity of plowing clouds and sowing moon. There's just the activity of breath, thought, child crying, helicopter. Feet moving, hands holding, lips speaking. You zoom in, you zoom in, and there's just the activity of <inaudible> <inaudible> touch, 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 touch space, 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 space. space, space. You zoom out, there's just, oh, wow, oh, oh. thank you. Mystery. Dogen Zenji says, Mountains belong to the people who love them. And he's talking about this brightly illuminated field of our life. He's talking about the floor you're sitting on, this body, these hands. These flowers, this breath, this house, this temple, this monastery, wherever you are, whoever is your kin, whoever's in your life, your field, this is yours. This belongs to you. Your life is truly yours when you love it. It's another spin. Compassion and love is the activity of the mountains, the activity of serene illumination. And so you can see we have great responsibility as the heart opens. this love, the love of mountains, the love of people, practicing serene illumination, is endless. It's unconditional. It's not static, but flowing. This being human is a process. This awakening is a process. One we discover over and over and over and over again and trust yourself to this practice. Plowing clouds, sowing moon, coming home, coming home to right here, right here where you sit, breathe, live, love.